be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people of God. Once you had, no, or had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word, and please be seated. Good morning. If you would like to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll be looking at this text in a few moments. Before we dig into this letter that Peter gave us, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that You are our Creator and the Sovereign Lord of all. Father, keep us from the evil one and the ways that He would want to work in our lives and destroy. And this morning, as we have gathered to praise You for Your love and Your goodness, we, we pray that our worship comes up to You as a, a sweet sacrifice. Father, we want to live faithfully as Your people. And so, Father, we ask that whenever we read Your Word, that we might do so with humble hearts, that You might shape and mold us into being the people and living as the people that You would have us to be. Father, this morning as we look at Your Word, Give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, who died for us. Amen. Sesame Street has a song that features Cookie Monster or some other character of Sesame Street singing that goes something like this. One of these things is not like the other things. I know you were afraid I was going to try to sing that. <laughs> the purpose of this song is to point out the very real differences that can exist between objects. And just like the graphic on the screen, one of these things is not like the other things. Obviously, this song is intended to help children begin to learn about critical thinking and distinguishing between shapes and colors. But what if the shapes and the graphic on the screen rep represented something other than just inanimate objects, but rather represented the lives of people. You know, when a person moves to a, a foreign country, quite often their cultural habits will make them appear quite different from everyone else who lives around them. For example, 
Perhaps they will have different festivals throughout the year. Or maybe when special events come, they will celebrate these special events in in different ways. Perhaps they're eating different foods, using different spices, cooking or preparing their foods in, in different ways. Sometimes foreigners stand out as being different from those around them because of how they think or what they value. Latin America has a a stereotype and a reputation that um, people are late. I understand the Brazilian culture better than the other Latin American cultures. And one of the reasons why some Brazilian might be late is because of the value that's placed upon relationships. A person might have such a, a relationship with a person and in this meeting they don't want to cut it short they don't want to offend and be rude by saying, i got to go. I have some place I need to be. So they continue to talk and engage and be fully engaged in this moment. But it causes them to be late for another appointment. Then sometimes they're just late. Contrast that with one of my per- German professor friends who is incessantly 30 minutes early to any appointment he has. He is going to guarantee that he is not going to be late. And he will have enough time to overcome any unseen contingency that might occur. How how people think can shape their lives and make them appear different. The thing about foreigners is they walk to the beat of a different drum. And their lives can appear different. But what if the difference that causes a person to stand out from the rest is not because of culture or country, but rather it results from God having captured someone's heart? And they live differently than all the rest. What if someone's thinking and behavior contrasts sharply with those around them because God has transformed that individual's values and goals, thinking and behavior? In this letter of 1 Peter, Peter has captured the essence of the Christian life. And and he's going to describe it as being a foreigner. It is distinct from the ways of those around Christians. Christians just don't blend into the culture and look like everyone else because they're walking to the beat of a different drum. Listen to how Peter begins this letter. Chapter 1 and verse 1. He addresses his readers as to those living as resident foreigners. He picks up and develops this theme a little bit further about the distinctive nature of the Christian life in chapter 1, verse 17. He says, live out the time of your temporary residence here in reverence. The thread gets further developed. Chapter 2 and verse 11, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly lusts that do battle against the soul. But what is it about this Christian life that makes it appear distinct among all the rest? We can summarize the life that Peter describes in this letter as being the sanctified life. This is a life that's lived in dedication to God. 
It involves living a holy life, a life that is consistent with who God is. Now, before we dig into 1 Peter and see what he has to say about this sanctified life that makes Christians appear different, this foreigner quality, before we dig into that, here's two truths about living the holy life that God desires. The first is that God makes people holy. If we were to go and pick up the book of Leviticus, that handbook in the Old Testament that would tell the the Levites how this relationship with God is going to work. I mean, here you have a holy God and you have people. And if you bring a holy God and bring them in close relationship with people, people are not holy. Someone's going to get hurt and it's not God. So, so how is a holy God going to dwell in the midst of His people? And the answer is, God makes them holy. And so, in describing what God does to the, the high priest, we read in Leviticus 21.15, I am the Lord who sanctifies him. Or as another translation puts it, I am the Lord who makes him holy. It's not the high priest. It's God who makes him holy. Speaking about the priests in general, Leviticus tells us 22 and verse 9, I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And finally, to the whole community of Israel, Leviticus tells us in 21:32, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Do you think... There's a message here that God's people are supposed to pick up. It's they don't make themselves holy. It's God who makes them holy. We find the same message in the New Testament. We come to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We read, by God's will, we have been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The author continues in verse 14, For by one offering, His death upon the cross, He has perfected for all time those who are made holy. Christians are holy not because of how good they are, how they've been living. They are made holy because God has made them holy. They're holy because He made them holy through the blood of Christ. This is a consistent message we find throughout Scripture. So if someone were to wake up one morning and to say, well, you know, I'm going to live my life dedicated to God. I'm going to do all the right things. That is not a holy life as God looks at it. Because He has not made that person holy if that's all that's happened. To be made holy, to be sanctified, means God has brought that person into a state that is consistent with who God is and God has brought them into a relationship with Himself. And they are to live dedicated to Him. And the holiness involves being pure. A second truth about the sanctified life is that God's people are to maintain God's work in their lives. Going back again to the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. 
God's people were told that they needed to live in a, a holy, a consecrated way. Because that's who their God was. Their God is holy. And they need to live in congruence with that. He makes them holy and they need to maintain it. We find Peter will use the same sort of reasoning in the letter that we're about to dig into. He will describe that Christians ought to live holy lives because their God is holy. And when he goes on to describe what causes them to be in this state, he points to the blood of Christ that has brought them into this relationship with God. Peter will quote from Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. And he writes, You shall be holy because I am holy. He's telling the Christians to align themselves with who God is and God's ways. What had enabled them to enter into this state of holiness? He goes on to explain that they were ransomed by the precious blood like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Speaking of Christ. With these thoughts as a, a backdrop about sanctification and holiness, let's look at what Peter has to say about the sanctified life. What is it about living this holy life that makes the Christian appear like a foreigner in this world? First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is, into an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is reserved in heaven for you, who by God's power are protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter got it. Look at what this text says. Peter is going to describe the Christian's future. And even before he can begin to write about it, he breaks out in praise to God. His mind is focused on God's activity and how that has changed who his readers are and their future. He says, God gave us new birth into a living hope. Their life is different being made holy, being sanctified, changes our relationship to God, to others, and to the future. Christians have a, a new future. To, to live as a Christian distinguishes us from, from merely clocking into work, doing the job, going home, finding entertainment, and going to sleep. To wake up the next day and to do it all over again. The Christian lives with a confidence and knowing about where his future, or where her future is. And that influences today and how we live. The lives of God's people are infused with this confidence and certainty about their future. And that's a different life, a different way to live. And so as Peter focused upon that inheritance that God's people have, he breaks forth in unabashed praise. Deep from within. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter got it. He understood how hope changes living. And sometimes I wonder, do I get it? Do we get it? Remember the movie Schindler's List? 
This movie tells the story of Oscar Schindler, who employed over a thousand Jews in his factory. And because he did so, he saved their lives. Imagine for a second being a Jew in Nazi Germany. If you can, put yourself in those shoes for a second. Think about it. Rumors have begun to circulate. You've seen how other Jews have been rounded up and they're disappearing. There's concern and fear. What about tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? And then a man named Oscar gives you a job in his factory. And and the Nazis just begin to walk right by you. And day after day goes by, week after week goes by, and you're working in this factory, and the Nazis just leave you alone. And suddenly there's this realization that you have a hope for tomorrow. That that, that tomorrow, you're going to get up and you're going to go to work again. And you're not going to be taken away to wherever they're going. The Nazis are taking the Jews. Does living with that sort of hope change how you live in the day? Yes. Peter understands. And as he starts speaking about the inheritance we have, he breaks forth in praise to God. You see, the sanctified life moves us from hopelessness to hope. This hope is a protected inheritance. It's in heaven. It's waiting for us. And Peter will go on to describe that although you may face difficulties now, how this hope that we have of what's waiting for us, an inheritance, can help us deal with and go through the difficulties in the here and the now. And then he does something that, that's wonderful. He peels back history for us. And, and Peter begins to describe the salvation that we've received. And he says, you want to know how important this is? Those prophets in the Old Testament that spoke about what what you're receiving, they looked and they tried to understand when and, and all about this salvation. They longed to look into it. And not only them, angels longed to look into these things. That's how valuable the hope of that inheritance that you have. Which brings us to Peter's segue into another aspect of how the sanctified life is distinct from other ways of living. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, you see, it's because of that hope and that salvation that you have. Therefore, because of that, get your minds ready for action. By being fully sober and set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Like obedient children, do not comply with the evil urges you used to follow in your ignorance. 
But like the Holy One who called you, become holy yourselves in all of your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy because I am holy. And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, live out the time of your temporary residence here in reverence. It is because of who God is and what He has accomplished in the believer's life that our lives are to be molded into a distinct character. Different from the rest. Did you notice Peter's commands? If we list them, get your minds ready for action. Do not comply with the evil urges you used to follow. Become holy yourselves in all your conduct. Here Peter is not saying that they make themselves holy, but once again he is saying make sure that your conduct is holy. Align yourself with God. Live out the time of your temporary residence here in reverence. Because these are commands, that tells me that the sanctified life is not an automatic one. It's not that I become a Christian and then something just takes over as if I'm a puppet and I'm going to do everything right. But in writing to God's people, Peter tells Christians and commands them, here's what you need to do deliberately. If I'm going to live the sanctified life, I need to move from following evil urges to following God. If you're filling in your sheet, this would be on one of those blanks. The sanctified life moves us from following evil urges to following God. Holy life, holy living looks different because it serves a different source, a different master. When God makes us holy, it changes our relationship with Him, with others with this world, with our future. You know, in contrast, the world simply continues to navigate life in a variety of ways that appeals to the flesh. Perhaps you'll remember the lyrics of a well-known song. It can't be wrong when it feels so right. If it feels right, do it. It's this sort of advice that empowers the flesh to get a grip on a person's life and destroy it. How does the flesh feel when someone intentionally hurts us? What do I I want to do if someone has made an effort at slander, has made an effort to undermine, has made an effort to hurt. How does that feel? What do we want to do? What does the flesh want to do? It wants to growl, I will never forgive you for that. Especially if it's gone deep. Sometimes the evil urges of the flesh can seem like a hungry wolf on the prowl. Maybe we're working on our computer and and suddenly this ad pops up. And it has provocative images there, there, that lure and entice. 
Maybe we're working on our computer and the thought goes through our mind, I wonder what I can find. Or, or consider how the flesh can be at work at work. Someone makes a mistake that's going to cost the company money. So, so what does the flesh think? Boy, I can't wait to tell the boss how I'm going to cost the company money. No. No, the flesh is going to say, you know, save yourself. Lie. Blame someone else. Bury this so deep. Disconnect yourself from the problem so that no one can know you're going to be the one who costs the company money. No, like a hungry wolf, the, the flesh begins to make its move. How can we avoid the tug and the pull of the flesh that desires to drag us into the former ungodly ways of living? Paul provides an answer in Galatians. He writes, The person who sows to his flesh will reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. In this in this letter, Paul makes the argument that the ways of the Spirit and the ways of the flesh are opposite. If you're doing one, you can't be engaged in the other. So to take his advice, maybe put it in modern terms, the sanctified life involves starving the wolf, the flesh, in order to feed the things of the Spirit. And when we came to Christ, we made a commitment that we're going to cast off these things of the flesh, we're going to starve it, and we're going to live by feeding the things of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit then blossoms within our lives. To make choices that are in congruence with God causes us to move from following evil urges to following God, thus making us appear distinctive. And so we say, when jokes are going around, and people are being belittled, made the butt of a joke. I'm not going to participate in that. If, if, if guys are maybe joking about their wives, I'm not going to participate in that. So, and so we say, I forgive you. And even if, even if it's really hard, I forgive you. And if God has forgiven us, then we also need to say, I forgive myself. And so we don't retaliate when, when slandered, but we turn that other cheek. We say to someone, thanks for, thanks for the invitation, but because of the nature of the entertainment, I don't want to go. Peter gives us a third characteristic of the sanctified life in chapter 2. He describes how, in chapter 2, how God takes people and makes them these living stones and, and then He mortars them together into this building that He is constructing. And they have something that they need to do as a result of what He has done for them. Chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of this His own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the One who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
the sanctified life entails moving from silence to proclaiming God's virtues. Peter, I guess you can say, has taken us back to where he started. Remember how he opened the letter? He began by praising God's mercy for what he has done for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope. The story of who God is and what he has done is to be proclaimed by these living stones that have been put together into this building that God is building. Jesus, before he ascended back to the Father, taught that a change of hearts that sins might be forgiven should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. The message of what God is doing and has done through Christ is to be proclaimed. You know, we support missionaries in Swaziland, in Japan, Honduras, Chile, the United States, and Mexico who are proclaiming God and His virtues. And, and when the church assembles for worship, we sing and extol God's greatness. Hebrews chapter 13 speaks about this as being a sacrifice to God. Through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips acknowledging His name. But it's not just apostles. It's not just missionaries who need to proclaim God. Look again at the text in 1 Peter 2. This is written to the church. To the living stones that God is joining together. God has made each of us holy and brought us together so that we can proclaim the God who rescues people from darkness so that they can live in His light. And so we sing when we gather together. I've got a brother, an older brother who's tone deaf. He makes a beautiful noise to the Lord. The point is, from his heart, he proclaims God's goodness. How sad it is if there is someone whom God has made holy and God has joined together into this building who, when the saints come together to sing and to praise and proclaim God, just says, you know, that's not my thing. I'm just going to sit there. God has brought us together to proclaim. And if we're going to live the sanctified life that He wants, we proclaim Him. But you know, that brings us to the other part of proclaiming Him and announcing how He takes us from darkness and brings light into life. We tell the story to others. Again, the Great Commission is not a message just to apostles. It's not just to missionaries. It's to the church, God's people. We are to be proclaiming Christ and how God takes people from darkness and brings them into light. That's our job as living stones whom God is assembling together. How sad it is when a sanctified person, given a gift that they could never earn, given a treasure and an inheritance that they could never even get anywhere 
off the ground to receiving says, you know, I'm sorry. Telling other people about God is just not my thing. I'm not going to proclaim him to anyone else. I'm a little nervous. Who isn't nervous about maybe having a person distance themselves because we live a distinctive life? But there's something more important. It's who we are and who we're serving. And God has brought us together and made us into a community that is to proclaim His virtues and what He does in this world. Christians are supposed to live with a purpose that transcends just making money, that transcends just having fun, that transcends just getting through another day with the wife or the husband and the kids, that transcends the, the rat race as they call it, but rather they are given a life that God has given them, a holy life. And they are to live out holy, sanctified lives in this world. And it causes them to look different because they can live with a hope and a certainty about the inheritance that they have because they reject the evil urges that they used to follow. And now they're following the Lord because they've been moved from being silent to proclaiming who God is. And these characteristics of a sanctified life make God's people look different than the neighbor next door if the neighbor next door is not a Christian. But maybe this morning someone has not yet responded to Christ to enter into that sanctified life that God makes possible through the death of His Son. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, Peter summarizes the consistent and beautiful gospel that's found throughout the New Testament. He's going to write that the Word of God can make a person new. The, the message, the Gospel, God's power can take a person and change them, making them new. They're born again. That new life that God gives to people. But what is the message of the Gospel that transforms us? The story is that God loved us. He loved us, so He sent Christ to die for us. And if we will rely on Christ, come to Him, then we can be forgiven and claimed as His own. We are to trust in Jesus and our, our whole salvation is based on relying on Him. Paul will summarize this as well as expressing faith in Christ in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, where Paul writes, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That, that's what caused you to, to be a, a Christian. He goes on to explain how a person is called through the Gospel to rely on Christ. 
For, he says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. We're to confess and acknowledge that Jesus is who He claimed to be. We're to rely on His death and what He has done for us by, by being buried with Him and then raised up with Him to a new life. A life that God makes possible. And, and we make a, a decision when we come to Christ. We're leaving an old life behind and we're going to live by the Spirit. Not by the flesh. What's the result? Peter writes that as a result of obeying the truth, obeying the Gospel, that message, you receive a purified life. You have that holy life. If someone this morning has not yet given themselves to Christ and relied on Him in the way that the New Testament consistently teaches, we would invite you to come this morning because there's nothing more important in this life. Why don't come now as we stand and sing? The sweet voice of Jesus.